98.7 FM, Arizona's sports station, Bigly Blast. If Robert Sarver wanted to show his gratitude to the sport of basketball, if he wanted to do the right thing for his team, his players in the city of Phoenix, he would sell his stake of ownership this weekend before his players report to training camp, before they are subjected to the distractions and a battle that shouldn't be theirs to fight. Yesterday, it was Draymond Green who spoke out forcefully. He called for the NBA's Board of Governors to call a vote that could potentially kick Sarver out of the league and more of that is surely coming from all over the NBA and the Phoenix Suns do not need this. Not now, not on January 15th when they might be able to acquire Kevin Durant and not any time in the future where the unsettling results of an NBA investigation will make Phoenix a city that free agents will avoid at all costs. Green just said as much when saying Sarver does not represent what the NBA stands for. Now, in the short term, the Suns might flourish in the absence of Sarver. A fellow columnist in town pointed out that the Suns have won nothing in the presence of his occasionally heavy-handed meddling and awkward social skills. But he's rarely seen as the owner of the Mercury, and they've won three championships. Coincidence? Bottom line, a return of Robert Sarver would be untidy at best, and it could be quite devastating. But I am positively certain that selling his 35% of the Suns would yield an enormous profit for Sarver, and I'm also certain that a fan base and his basketball team would greatly appreciate the graceful exit. All right, today's Bickley Blast brought to you by my great friends at Chapman BMW who make luxury attainable with two great locations and one great experience. Find them online at ChapmanBMW.com. I saw where Commissioner Silver said, I've taken the steps that I can take, the maximum penalty that I can hand out I hand it out and now it falls on you know in order for him to be kicked out as an owner of an of a franchise and forced to sell that that vote would fall on two-thirds of the other owners of these assets and so what I would say is then why don't we pose a vote because that is definitely an, an offense that's probably grounds for force being forced to sell that's draymond green on his own podcast talking about the uh situation uh now he did reference adam silver saying i gave the maximum which which the maximum financial penalty was handed out to robert sarver Mm -hmm. the suspension bit could have been longer but even if it was two years that would not satisfy many people no the length of the suspension i think is almost immaterial and Draymond Green also on that podcast said, look, fast forward to the future. You know, a year from now, Robert Sarver is just going to come in and sit courtside again like like nothing ever happened. Right. Um, Draymond Green is outspoken. We know this. Um, uh, he, he spoke pretty level-headed about this, this whole uh, instance involving the Phoenix Suns, which, again, as you pointed out last week, Vic, this is not a Phoenix problem anymore. No. This is an, an NBA, NBA problem. problem. This is an Adam yeah. Silver problem. And the problem might get exacerbated on Monday when and the 30 teams around the league hold their respective media days. It's going to be really interesting here in Phoenix when media day happens. They go to camp the next day. But that is an opportunity. I mean, microphones will be in the faces of every player, every coach, a lot of executive support staff. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is going to be talked about in 30 different yeah. NBA locales Indeed. Uh, on Monday. And, and we've seen it. 
um, in other instances when there's you know, you know a penalty given out. Um, and again, this is an apples to oranges comparison. But remember the Ray Rice situation. And the Ray Rice situation, Roger Goodell handed out a suspension that people thought was light. And then we got a different, uh, you know, a, a different viewpoint of it, a video viewpoint of it. And public reaction helped change that penalty. Ray Rice never it, played in the NFL. That's again. a great point. Uh, public reaction did indeed fuel that. That's a, that's a very very um, that's a very poignant thing you just said, and, and I think that that is sort of sort of the next step in this, and that is a, a, how how hot does this external pressure get at one at some point in time? Does do people close to Robert Sarver? Say to him, "Come on, man, it's not worth it." Does he realize? Let's not do this. Even if Robert Sarver thinks he is um, being treated unfairly, you've got to look at what might be coming in the future and just realize how damaging it could be to the brand, to the team, all of that stuff. And and especially if he does choose to fight, and if he chooses to be defiant, and if he chooses to come back in in a year and 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 restake his claim. So I, I think all of that is in the air with this, and I and and I just I, I wish the Phoenix Suns didn't have to deal with this, but I do honestly believe that the previous tactic of okay, look, he, we've never seen that side of him. He's always been good to me. Uh, we're going to focus on winning basketball games. We're going to focus on our culture. We're going to let this investigation take care of itself. That investigation has indeed stamped as fact 90% of the uh, the vignettes, the allegations, the stuff that was in the initial Baxter Holmes story. Mm-hmm. Now, there, you know, listen, I'll be quite honest with you. There, there are people who have been told me that, that Adam Silver saw that, that, that eulogy, that, that awful, off-color blue eulogy that Robert Sarver – Delivered and was so appalled by it all that wheels were set in motion with his partner at ESPN to go and let's let's put together this investigation. Let's let's document all of this. And and here we are in a result of it, because it's it's sort of like a career dishonor award, if you will. It's it's sort of like a, a, a career shame kind of deal. This isn't just an incident of of racial intent. This isn't Donald Sterling being caught on tape. This is just a really obnoxious workplace culture that has just gone on for almost two decades. Not all the time, not to everyone, but the people who have been affected by this have been affected in a deeply traumatic way. And I've I've heard from some of them and it's and it 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 hurts me. And and it hurts me that they feel let down by the NBA. And and so I just think with everything that is in the air about this, there's just such an easy, clean solution here. And I, I hope that he chooses that solution. It's easy and clean to everybody not named Robert well, Sarber, that, though. There is that. There is that. But there's also 35% of $2.5 billion. Be interesting that we've talked about so much about it. Be interesting to see what the players say and react. It'd be interesting to see what the fans do. Mm-hmm. Because on the one hand, I think there's plenty of fans who have been waiting years to really have something to protest Robert Sarver for. But the team is actually really good now. Yes. Mm-hmm. So it's not like, you know, if, if the team was still one of the worst teams in the NBA, the fans would just not show up. They would pick it out front, this, that, and the other. It, it's sort of a dichotomy uh, where you have to balance 
the the interest in the team with the disgust in Sarver potentially being if, the owner. If you want to ask me what I what I think from a basketball standpoint could be uh, really problematic in the initial. When I look at the moves James Jones is making to this point, it looks to me like he's going to to great lengths to fill the team's needs with marginal affordable pieces. Frank Jackson recently acquired combo guard, not that good of a shooter. He's okay. Damian Lee, good player. Steph Curry loves him. Okay, Dwayne Washington. These are Jock Lindell and Jay Crowder being traded. So it feels to me like they're holding a place for Kevin Durant. That's what it feels like to me in terms of what they've been acquiring. There's been speculation, and take it for what it's worth, because it's just that, it's speculation. Bogdanovich from Utah, there was Shea Gilgis-Alexander speculation, which, ooh, sign me up. Yeah. You can make that happen. Yeah. Sign me up for okay. that. Um but I, yeah, I think it's clear from a, from a roster building strategy and standpoint that they were being very patient, and you know uh, it, it, there was a lot of poo pooing of those reports. Hey, it didn't really go very far because the Nets never wanted to get rid of Kevin Durant. Well, yeah, that's fine, but I think you know the Suns and other teams operated under the guise that that was still possible. Yeah, and you know that's why the Suns roster looks. Largely the same as it did in in you know June when or May when they were eliminated from the playoffs, or whenever that was. That was mid May, wasn't it? Seems like eighty six years it ago. It sure does. <laughs> it sure does. Yeah, but we're right on the doorstep again. Uh, it Monday will be a very interesting day, and uh, that being said, Tuesday will be a very interesting show. Uh, <laughs> yes, it will. Yeah. Well, Monday would also what be an media day. By the way, I think it starts at like it starts right at ten. Yeah. Oh, so, does it? Yeah. So we'll get to miss the fireworks. Yeah. Luke and Wolf. Or show up late. Yeah. I mean, we can go. <laughs> Let's do a live show. <laughs> yeah. I like it. Let's go. Sarah's thinking out of the box. I'm ready. I like it. You can text your thoughts to the FanDuel text line at 620-620 right now. Coming up next, there's certainly a lot of mystery about what the Arizona Cardinals are through two games. Nationally, that mystery also exists. We'll tell you more about that next. Pickley and Murata Mornings, 98.7 FM, Arizona Sports Day. 98.7 FM, Arizona's Sports Station. Bickley and Murata. Bickley and Murata Mornings. Yeah, I think it's just a, the... It's kind of one of those things that give you a sense of like who you in the foxhole with. You know, it's kind of that, that feeling of like, I know who I'm fighting with. I know I'm fighting with a bunch of guys that'll take it to the deep end and they'll stay down there as long as they have to to come out on top. You know what I mean? And that's a good feeling. Obviously, like I said, we would love to be able to get the fast start and, and, and produce like we know we can, like we do when we're battling back. But knowing the guys that you're in the foxhole with and knowing that I'm in, the, in there with a bunch of guys that are scratching claw to get that W, that's that's. That's definitely a good feeling to have. DJ Humphreys left tackle of the Arizona Cardinals uh, yesterday, talking with the media, asked if this win is something to build off of. It better be. <laughs> the Cardinals want to get back to the playoffs this year. That yeah. has to be something to build off of. Um, you have to go back to halftime of that game in Las Vegas where the reaction, I think, locally, uh, <laughs> you want to go back and count the number of tweets that were calling for firings or this is the worst team in the NFL. Mm-hmm. So for them to turn it around and come away with a win, you never have to apologize for that. Uh, winning in the NFL is really hard, especially the way the Cardinals did it on Sunday. But, um, you know, eliminating slow starts. Having more consistent play. Um, the offense has not been jaw-dropping, 
jaw-droppingly good through two weeks. That these are these are facts. These are things that can mm-hmm. be built upon. The bad news is. They're trying to do it against a team that's owned them recently and a team that uh, still is polishing oh. their, their their new Super oh. Bowl ring. Well, and that, again, that is the beauty of Sunday. It is uh, it is quite a monstrous challenge against a Rams team that are the reigning champions that inflicted great pain and embarrassment on the Cardinals in last year's playoffs. And a Rams team that hasn't been that sturdy so far this season. And, and they're looking to find kind of a, a, a higher level. Uh, Sean McVay has never lost a game in Glendale. And, and here we go this is to me if if what i really hope to be is true that the second half was the declaration of the best offensive line we have seen in arizona in some time we're going to see it on sunday and and if if they handle the rams and if and they allow kyler murray to play comfortable and poised and on his tippy toes looking down the field in the pocket mm-hmm. then 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 the future is here and the future is limitless for us yeah but but, but again but again it, it's it, there's no guarantee of that and there's it, because for six quarters this six quarters the cardinals looked dreadful yes dreadful Refresh my memory. When we made uh, our preseason picks, you had the Cardinals as a wild card, correct? I did. Nine and eight, last team in. Has anything that's happened in two weeks swayed you one way or the other? No. It's too early to tell. Swayed you to change. No, it's too early to tell. Yeah, I'm the same way. I had them at eight and nine out of the playoffs, and I can't. I can't nudge off that right now no and, and, and you shouldn't and that's that's the whole thing this was this was it was so magical what happened and it but it really stemmed from the quarterback and and there were a lot of decent there were a lot of good performances around him that made that happen but but also there was a just a, it was also a, a team that was very shaky even even down the stretch in some places so it, and then the wild card in it, of course, is the the lack of of reps in this off season and preseason. That that there's that you can you can convince yourself that by the second half of Sunday's game against the Raiders, the the Cardinals were finally like, okay, now I remember what it's like to play football. I get it. Mm-hmm. Um, the battery of twelve different uh, power rankings that I look at every week, mm-hmm. and, and just for the record, ESPN, NFL. dot com, Bleacher Report, The Ringer, The Athletic, Pro Football Focus, Sports Illustrated, Sporting News, Pro Football Talk, CBS Sports, Yahoo, and Athlon Sports. So they're right in the middle of the pack again. They started out almost directly in the middle of the pack. Their average ranking on those twelve power rankings going into Week One was fifteen point nine. Sixteen is midway point. After that week one loss to Kansas City, they fell to an average of 20.5 and as low as 27 mm-hmm. on the athletics list. That was as low as they've been. This week, wow. they're up an average of five on everybody's power rankings and up to 15.3, so higher than where they started. I like a yo-yo. It is. Yeah. A yo-yo is a perfect way to put yeah. it. That's and and so and again this is there's been such variation it it's in all of this and you know it's it's really whether or not what happened was uh, a, 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 an anomaly or an anomaly is the old song said or you remember that that was right in your wheelhouse incubus yeah incubus um, or whether or not that was a football team turning a corner and you can you can really believe in either scenario because you've got plenty of evidence on each side and. Uh, uh, I look at the defense, and there's a couple things that stand out to me defensively. Number one, um, the idea of can you generate a pass rush 
without sacrificing the secondary because it looked to me like defensively they got sturdier in the second half. I, I've mentioned Byron Murphy's jun- J- Byron Murphy Jr.'s performance many times now because I did not think he could hold up face guarding Devontae Adams that frequently. But again, Devontae Adams no longer has Aaron Rodgers as his quarterback. So there, so there's that. So I don't know what to make of that. And if this is, if Byron Murphy Jr. is prepared to be, you know, an up and coming Jalen Ramsey, then then that's going to be a real good thing for this football team. If that if that, as you mentioned, you can you can see that if that is indeed happening, this secondary might magically solve its own issues. It might. Uh, again, Gamble put it out there yesterday. He expects Trayvon Mullen to play this week. How can he can contribute? And I think there were a lot of people associated with the Cardinals, maybe maybe within the, the building, too. Mm-hmm. They were like, uh-oh, what is the secondary going to look like? What is that cornerback room? How are they going to hold up against NFL competition, yep. especially when we're out of the gate playing three of the top passing offenses in the league in weeks one, two, and three? Through week two? Not not that bad so far. I mean, the, Patrick Mahomes riddled them, but they were, I mean, Kansas City wasn't going to lose that day well, to anybody. But again, at halftime, we looked at that game and I said to myself, one of the notes I made to myself was Vance Joseph can't win because they dramatically changed their approach mm-hmm. from week one to week two, dramatically in terms of blitz percentage and what they were trying to do defensively, and neither of it was working. Damned if you do, damned if you don't. Mm-hmm. Then the second half rolls around and the Cardinals come out with intense Intensity they hadn't shown yet this season, while simultaneously the Raiders were powering down, yeah. thinking they had this thing in their back pocket. So that confluence of forces, a, a team that finally latched on to some urgency and some real desperation against a Raiders team that had zero respect for the Cardinals at halftime. Yeah. That led to that outcome in part. It did. There's no. There's no way to deny it. But it's a perfect way to put it. You know, when you're on a flight. And that moment where you're, you're getting close to your destination and you feel the engines power down. Yeah, right. It's like, we're preparing yeah. for descent. Right. Yes. That's exactly what the Raiders yeah. were doing. Thinking you it was going to be a soft landing. You landing come out. Yeah. Hopefully. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> Hopefully. Hopefully. Yeah, that's the operative word. I, I can't wait for this. I, I am I am so uh, just excited to see what is, what is what with this football team. Yeah, we, we thought mystery would be solved in week one. It wasn't. Or week two, it's not. They're keeping it, uh, they're keeping it nice and fresh and mysterious for us. I'll <laughs> yes, say that. Have you subscribed to the Bickley and Murata podcast? Subscribe right now on your iPhone or Android. You'll never miss any of the show. It's the Bickley and Murata podcast brought to you by Carol Royce Keller Williams Realty East Valley. Get a higher price selling your home. Get guaranteed offers. Go to higherprice.com. That's higherprice.com. Coming up next, it's been a while since we've talked to our next guest. Uh, he's the legendary play-by-play voice of the Phoenix Suns. And now, adding something else to his resume, the Fiesta Bowl Parade Grand Marshal. The one and only Al McCoy joins us straight Woo-hoo! ahead. Bickley Murata Mornings, 98.7 FM, Arizona Sports Station. Watch it now. Bickley Murata Mornings on this Wednesday, live from the Chin Community Studios. We get a chance to talk to him every week during basketball season, but a little off-season visit, and there's a reason for it. The legendary Suns play-by-play voice Al McCoy, this year's Verbo Fiesta Bowl Parade presented by Lerner and Rowe, Grand Marshal. And Al joins us right now here on the Arizona Sports Line. Al, how are you, man? Good morning. Uh, great, guys. Uh, this is a treat. 
to, to uh, get a chance to visit with uh, you guys again. I'm doing great. Thanks uh, for asking. Congra- the treat is all ours, Al. Yeah, and congratulations on this honor. And I know it, uh, when, when the news was announced, you had talked about being involved uh, in, in, in the Fiesta Bowl from, from its humble beginnings. And here we are all these years later, and you get to sit in the back of a convertible and wave. Well, you know, that's interesting because, you know, a lot of people have asked me, how did I feel when I got the phone call? Well, they brought back a lot of those memories because, as you mentioned, uh, back in the early 70s, a group of men who I call the founders uh, got together and uh, were trying to see how they could possibly get a bowl game here in Arizona. And after they'd been meeting for a while, they contacted uh, a few of us in the media. I think I was doing TV at Channel 10 at the time. And uh, they also called uh, Vern Boatner, who was uh, sports editor of the Republic, Bob Allison, sports editor of the then Phoenix Gazette, and another one or two I can't remember. And we actually then would set in with them and their meetings at the old Adams Hotel downtown and uh, listen. And uh, they they had a struggle. I mean, uh, you can imagine these old bowl games uh, didn't want any young whippersnappers from Arizona <laughs> getting a bowl game. But we uh, we were there to celebrate when they got it. And of course, the game uh, the first one was was in 1971, as you know. And uh, I had involvement there because it was ASU and Florida State, and we know the coach at ASU was Frank Cush, and I was the play-by-play announcer for the. Sun Devil football team and Frank's first year as coach. And, of course, ASU won that game over Florida State. And the Fiesta Bowl was off and running because they had more. They scored more total points in that game than ever in a bowl game. So they were they were off and running. When you look back on how far the Valley has come and how much has changed around here, you just started to describe how different the sporting experience used to be around here. How how would you describe that to the to the younger generation that doesn't know that kind of history? Well, you know, it's it's really hard to describe uh, because so much has happened, and and one of the reasons that uh, I have been so excited about getting the opportunity to be the Grand Marshal is just to be a part of what has happened uh, to the Fiesta Bowl, the people. And it's people in Arizona that have turned it into one of the top sports areas in the country. The people that have escalated the Fiesta Bowl to where it is today Mm -hmm. has just been fantastic. And these are just people. People that uh, love Arizona, that love the potential in a bowl game, and have worked hard, mighty hard night and day, to elevate this Fiesta Bowl where it is today. And I think you'd both agree, probably, with the games we've seen the last few years, the top bowl game the NCAA has. Yeah, can't argue with that. All right, uh, there's so much that we have to get done with the Phoenix Suns. We've got to get that championship here. We've got to get a statue of you and Jerry Colangelo out front that arena. That's got to happen in the future. In the short term, we've got these heavy questions, and I've got to ask you one about the results of this NBA investigation. Is there anything you want to say about it? Are you fearing that it might be a distraction for the basketball team as the conscience of this city and this franchise? What are your viewpoints on all of this? Well, you know, I wish I had an answer for you. Uh, but I don't. And uh, I, I just don't feel qualified at this point to have any idea uh, what the, the future holds. I know about the basketball team, and we're going to see pretty much basically uh, the same team that we saw last year. I'm excited about this team, however. I think, you know, sometimes we forget that this team, as good as it is, has only been together two years. 
And uh, the first year, of course, they went to the finals. Uh, last year, they had the best record in the regular season in the NBA, stumbled in the playoffs. But I think the potential of this team is just as high as it ever has been. The other problems that are rising now, I really don't even feel qualified to make a comment on. Yeah. The great Al McCoy, our guest here on the Arizona Sports Line, not only the uh, Hall of Fame voice of the Phoenix Suns, but this year the Verbo Fiesta Bowl Parade presented by Lerner and Rowe, a Grand Marshal. You are the third person associated with the Suns to have this Grand Marshal duty now, Al. Charles Barkley yeah, and Jerry Colangelo. When, when I got the, the official invitation and I noticed uh, my guy, our guy, Sir Charles, Charles Barkley, had been the Grand Marshal. I know Jerry Colangelo has. Last year, the great rock star Alice Cooper was. So it's a great lineup uh, that I'm going to be following, that's for sure. And uh, December 17th, 10 o'clock in the morning, Central Avenue, uh, I'm going to be there, and it's going to be exciting. When you take a look at this upcoming season, it's how much do you think the Suns are yearning to kind of atone for what we saw? Because you've seen a lot of basketball, and so have I, and I don't think either of us has ever seen anything quite like the way that series ended um, against the Dallas Mavericks. Do you think that they're really going to be burning to, to make that right? Well, I certainly hope so. And I think they've had a long summer to think about it. Uh, all of us that follow the Suns have, the fans have, and you hit the nail on the head. I don't think any of us had any idea what was going to happen in that final game against Dallas. Uh, and I think um, maybe it was a learning experience. As I mentioned a moment ago, the team has only been together two years, and maybe that was something that they're going to pick mm-hmm. up a, and get a big learning experience from. I hope so, but, and I think so. When you look at the quality of players that the Suns have, and you can go from a CP3 to D Booker uh, to right down the line. These are guys that care about the game, and I think we're going to see a highly motivated team uh, start the season, no question. I hope you're right, and I can only speak for myself. I'm not over the Game 7 loss. I know a lot of Suns fans aren't over the Game 7 loss. I probably won't get over it, Al, until I see this team play again, but I remember talking to you before the game in Game 7 and after, and you came on the show. How how long did it take for you to get over the Game 7 loss? Cause that was a weird one. Well, it was, and, and you know, knowing uh, the team and the players, as we all do, uh, we were just mystified. And and then on the other side of that coin, knowing Jason Kidd, the coach of Dallas and a former Suns player who was one of the best ever to play the game in a Suns uniform and a great friend, knowing what he'd been able to accomplish, uh, you had to say, boy, what a, what a job he did with that team. So uh, a lot of mixed emotions, but uh, you're right. Not something you shake off in a hurry, and that's why I think we're going to see a very motivated Phoenix Suns team start the season. And, of course, the first preseason game is just the second of next month uh, against that Australian team, so it's just around the corner. And also, you know what's interesting about the Suns team? Even though, you know, even though the competition around them obviously is going to be tougher in the West this year, especially with the Clippers, you still have got guys on this basketball team with great growth potential. And, I, I mean, that, that certainly applies to DeAndre Ayton. It applies to Cam Johnson. It even applies to Mikhail Bridges and Devin Booker. Your thoughts on that? Well, no question about it. And as you both know, I'm a, I'm a DeAndre Ayton guy. I think he's a long way from his potential, even though he still plays great. He gets a double-double every game all season. You can't laugh at that. And you're right. It's still 
Um, you know, have the veteran CP3 at the helm. Other than that, it's a young, growing team still with tremendous potential. And they have shown that, as they did last year during the regular season. And again, I think, you know, sometimes you look in pro sports at the losses meaning something. Maybe the way they lost that game to Dallas in the playoffs is going to be meaningful, particularly for these young players that you have mentioned who are still in the growing process, uh, that it's going to be a learning experience for them. Uh, You mentioned uh, it's going to be tough in the West, but so much anymore, particularly in the NBA, but almost in any sport, injuries are such a key. Mm -hmm. If you can stay healthy, and you're a competitive team, you go into the playoffs in good shape. If you're not, well, that's what happened to the Clippers, and it's happened to other teams also. But uh, injuries in any sport today are, are so, so, so important. Al McCoy is the Grand Marshal of yeah. this year's Verbo Fiesta yeah. Bowl Parade presented by Lerner and Rowe. I, I, I'm guessing this is not your first time being the Grand Marshal of a parade, though, Al, is it? Well, you know, this past year, that light the parade, I was the Grand Marshal, and that was a lot of fun. Uh, this is a, a bigger parade day, uh, from, from that, uh, but still equally as exciting. Yep. And uh, uh, it's going to be a fun time, no question about it. And then the Suns have a game that night, December 17th, so it's going to be a busy wow. time for them. But <laughs> I'm looking forward to it. Well, congrats on that, Al. Uh, congrats, they couldn't Al. have picked anybody better, and looking forward to seeing you at the uh, Footprint Center real soon. Hey, thanks, guys. Great to talk with you. Thanks for the invitation to be on with you. Always appreciate you every morning. Have a good day, guys. Thanks, Thank Al. you, legend. Al McCoy, uh, that uh, Verbo Fiesta Bowl parade presented by Lerner and Rose. Saturday, December 17th, 2022. It starts at 10 o'clock. You know the route, Central Avenue near downtown. Uh, it's always a good time. And uh, thanks to Al McCoy, the Grand Marshal, for joining us. Coming up next, Major League Baseball. We're on the precipice of history, maybe on two fronts, home run-wise. We'll get into Aaron Judge and his chase for the American League home run record next. It's Mike Lee Judge, <laughs> Aaron Judge, Judge Dredd, Judge Judy, <laughs> Judge Wapner, Judge Joe Brown, Judge <laughs> That's next with Bickley and Murata Mornings, 98.7 FM, Arizona Sports Station. When Dan Bickley and Vince Murata talk about baseball, it's chin music. And they know a lot about chin music. Did you ever look at the chins on those two guys? <laughs> Fielders on the left side for Judge, and here's the 3 1. Drill deep to left field. There it goes. Number 60. Slide over, babe. You've got some company. Aaron James Judge has tied George Herman Babe Ruth with 60 home runs. That was the call Michael Kay had on uh, the Yes Network. Uh, pretty good call of Aaron Judge, which it was weird because when he did it in the in the bottom of the ninth, and Bick- the Yankees were down, and it felt like, oh, he's going to hit 60 and it's going to be a loss. Well, they go on and they get the walk-off home run from Giancarlo Stanton to, to win the game. Just an amazing night in, in the Bronx yeah. for the Yankees. But uh, we, it, we, we can't go on without hearing John Sterling's call, can we? You want to hear John Sterling? Oh, sure. Yeah. Okay. Here's. Oh, uh... my arm. <laughs> oh, wait. I got to start this over. Oh, technology and me just not getting along today. Here we go. Swing on that. There it goes. Deep left. It is high. It is far. It is gone. He's tied the babe. 
It's a judgy and blast. His 60th home run of the year. Wow. Oh. <laughs> oh, I, I think oh, that's kind of cool. Yeah. Because John Sterling, uh, we have fun with John Sterling calls, and uh, he's kind of, he's definitely a character. But you heard him say it there. It's a Judgian blast. That's a whole takeoff on on Ruth, Babe Ruth, Ruthian, Ruthian yeah. blast. Yeah. Uh, so it's kind of cool that those two came together on that highlight. Yeah. Okay. A couple things about this. This might be the greatest contract year in the history of sports. Oh my goodness! You right? think <laughs> this might be the greatest contract year performance in the history of sports? Yeah, because. I mean, the, the offer was, I think, turned down over $200 million, which seems like a drop in the bucket now. Yeah. I mean, that, he's going to blow that away. Yeah, yeah, for a guy that might end up winning the Triple Crown, right? We were talking about Paul Goldsmith doing it for the longest time. Here is the thing that I think is very, very interesting to me, and that is people know what Aaron, people in the game know what Aaron Judge means to baseball, and they are and pitchers are continuing to pitch to him. In fact, John Heyman, I, 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 I really, I, I couldn't believe he wrote this, but he's like, I. They're pitching to him too much. I'm like, shut up, Killjoy. <laughs> shut <Too> up. <laughs> How too much? Yeah, it, Aaron Judge has been walked 93 times this season, 17 times intentionally. In 01, Barry Bonds was walked 153 times, 29 times intentional. So the question becomes, if they keep pitching to Aaron Judge, which I think they will. I mean, they've got a series against the Red Sox. I don't know how the Red Sox are going to treat them. But, you know, they're playing the Rangers. What do the Rangers care? I just wonder how many pitches he's going to get to hit and where he can park this number, okay? Because I think I think passing Roger Maris is a very important thing. And I said this earlier because the Maris family, their return to baseball and, and their father's legacy uh, was propped up again during the McGuire-Sosa home run chase. And and they were there. They were in attendance. They loved Mark McGuire. Mark McGuire had to circle back later and apologize. It would be really cool for a Yankee to kind of – Honor Roger Maris by doing this in a way that we all are assuming is clean and legit. Yeah. yeah. All right. That's point number one. Uh, so if you can get to 62, I think that's going to happen. Two homers in 15 games, unless he goes into a slump, it's going to happen. They play tonight, right? I mean, it might happen tonight. Yeah, <laughs> right. It might happen tonight. So so then could he get to 67? I said this earlier. I would love if he could get all the way up to number three and just boot Sammy Sosa out of third place. So now there is somebody legit. Underneath Barry Bonds and Mark McGuire. Could he get 14 home runs in 15 games and break this thing right here and now? Would would opposing pitchers oblige that? That would be the Knowing most- what a stain... Barry Bonds is on baseball. That would be the most amazing. But are you staining baseball if you're obliging a record? I mean, it, it, it's a different stain, but you're still staining it. You got to be a competitor. Yes, you're right. We can't talk about the legitimacy of Aaron Judge's record at this point and then say, oh, by the way, uh, nudge, nudge, wink, wink, but we don't want Bonds to have the record, so serve up some meatballs for for Judge. I know. That's its own asterisk right there, which is such a hard word to Ask Michael Strahan and Brett Favre about that. Oh. Well, no, you're right. I uh, Listen, I agree with that, but but you never know. Down the stretch in 01, Mark McGuire was like hitting a home run like every game. and, and oh, Bonds, too. And Bonds, too. So who knows what's going to happen here. If, if Aaron Judge can stay hot through the weekend, could you imagine if he could actually put that what, baseball, baseball. If 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 Aaron Judge could have a smoking hot next seven games and get within striking distance of Bear, of Barry Bonds, no, even as improbable as that sounds, mm-hmm. if he could do it, 
baseball would maybe overshadow the NFL for a week. Maybe, but it was also incumbent on baseball to market it a little bit better, too. Um, and that's something that they struggle with. Uh, Aaron Judge, one of the things that makes this cool is that he's a, a universally likable player. Yeah. Like he, he's, he's not a villain. He's not, there's not controversy attached to his name. His story is great. He wasn't like a hot prospect either. He's kind of become this guy, and he's been saying all the right things, too. You know, I haven't really been thinking about numbers or stats and stuff like that. I've been and trying to go out there and help my team win and you know at the time it was a solo shot in the ninth and you know still down by a couple runs but this team we've always had you know a never die attitude and you know fight till the end and then you got four guys right behind me with great at bats one after the other against a great closer and um, makes it that much sweeter that's for sure Here's the other thing on Aaron Judge, playing on a team that has still World Series aspirations that has been in first place all season long in its division. He is having, when you look at it individually, one of the great offensive seasons in the history of Major League Baseball. When it's all said and done, he might, he probably will have the American League home run record. He will not be a unanimous choice for MVP. Because of the Shohei Otani thing? And he could win the Triple Crown. And he will not be a unanimous choice. Uh, see, um, again, the fact that it, this it muddles the argument so much. But to me, there's got to be an element of team success attached. And, and I get Aaron Judge would never have an argument. If you believe that Shohei Otani is the MVP because he is an elite pitcher and a devastating hitter, then nobody else should ever win it yeah. until somebody else does both again. Yeah, I agree. Okay, I agree. And but so it, you, you'd still vote for Shohei? Uh, no. Not this year. Aaron Judge is the most I, valuable player. Okay. You, did you not make the the argument to the contrary recently? Or am I dreaming that? I thought he did. I thought he made it right there. <laughs> I don't know what the hell I'm doing. It's, it's, Come on, you're the seam head on well, this show. Well, just said, under those parameters, that Shohei Otani should win it every year. And you said, I agree. But just not this year. <laughs> Jared. If you if you're if you're saying that if you're if you're judging value that he's more valuable because he is a ace pitcher and a top hitter, yeah. then you're right. Nobody else could ever equal that value. Shohei if that's Otani, all you're saying. Shohei Otani is the best baseball player on the planet Earth. Is he the most valuable player in the American League? No, well, that's absolutely a good way of doing not. it. That's a good way of. I doing mean, Aaron that. Judge is having a much 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 better hitting season right. than Shohei Otani right. is. Right. How many wins does he have? <laughs> One. I, what, what are his numbers as a pitcher? By the way, I don't even. I, I haven't seen him lately. How many games has he won? He's having a good year. I mean, how many games? Wins don't count anymore. Big. Nobody true. cares about wins. Yeah. Uh, Shohei Otani as a pitcher this year is a thirteen and eight with 13. a two forty three okay. ERA. That's so he's got two forty three ERA. He's got four good. more wins than last year. His ERA is three eighteen to two forty three. He struck out uh, almost two hundred batters. It's pretty good. Yeah. Uh, yeah, and, and, and he has thirty something home runs. Honestly, uh, his his numbers are down um, offensively. He doesn't have as many home runs and as many RBIs, but he's a, he's an unbelievable player. But man, you got to celebrate Aaron Judge. Coming up next, we'll hit the uh, nine o'clock hour. Sarah Cazell will take us through some social studies. That's straight ahead on the Wednesday edition of Bickley and Murata Mornings, ninety eight seven FM, Arizona Sports Station.